0: Welcome to Meet the Neighbor. I'm Laura Tamayo. Thank you for joining the conversation today. Imagine that I am creating a museum curating your life. Think of the places you've been, the games you played as a child, the things you love. What would I find in your museum?
1: Wow, that's such an amazing question. (laughs) Can I use that when I coach my clients? What would I find in my museum? So anything from childhood up until the current time? Yeah, it's your museum. Okay, so as a child, I would say that I really loved playing with Barbies. But in a way that I would set them up in a scenario type of situation, I'd envision almost like, a, you know, two Barbies sitting in the living room, I left the light on, because there was going to be something happening, i was going to leave them uh-huh. to it, there was going to be something happening. The coffee table is positioned a certain way. The one Barbie is facing the other Barbie. They're having a conversation. I'm leaving the light, light on and I'm just leaving it, letting them be. And <laughs> okay, yeah. like I would set up these like, like mm-hmm. scenarios and situations. I'm not really clear on what I wanted the outcome to be. But so Barbies in living room situation set up would be in my museum. Mm-hmm. And then I really like playing pretend games And anything that would be incorporated, that would incorporate teasing my sister at the same time would be awesome. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) So we grew up in Israel, right? And we grew up in this apartment and we had a tricycle. My sister and I are three years apart. I'm older. And we had this tricycle and she, she always wanted, my sister was like always trying to like tag along and play with me. And I was was like, oh, you're so annoying. Get away, get away. But anyway, any opportunity I would find where I could tease her uh, would be awesome. We had this tricycle and we would play bus. <laughs> this oh, okay. brings up like awesome memories. I'd be the driver of the bus, I'd be the tricycle. Mm-hmm. Just just like circling around the, the house, the apartment, and she would wait at the bus stop. So I would stop. And she would want to get on the back of the tricycle. I'd be like, what number of bus are you looking for? She would say, I don't know, five. I'd be like, oops, sorry, wrong bus, six. And I would like run around. And she'd be like, oh. And then I'd come (laughs) around and I'd be like, okay, you can get on now. That would be five shekels or whatever the currency was back then. And she was like pretending to give me pretend money. I'm like, no, you have to give me real money. She's like, I don't have real money. I'm like, too bad. And I would like ride around. And And I was like, (laughs) hysterically laughing and she would just get angry and it would be just the funniest thing to me ever
0: <laughs> so the one person bus so the tricycle would be there okay
1: ba- like play scenarios like that like mm-hmm. pretend um so that tricycle is really symbolic like she and I talk about this story we still remember it each of us very vivid. what else would you find from my childhood you'd probably find my Leotard from when I was a gymnast because I was athletic from a very young age. And so I did um, gymnastics for a period of time that was, I forget what it's called. It's called rhythmic, rhythmic gymnastics with the bow and the ball. Mm -hmm. And I was really like flexible and very, like with movement, it was very fluid to me. So probably my leotard, the ball, the ribbon. And you'd probably find my favorite pink sparkly jelly shoes. Remember jelly shoes? I think they're back in in style. Yes. That was like a pair of shoes I I really didn't like, didn't want to give up as I grew out of them. And then you would probably find my onesie. I had this one onesie that was like so gross already. And I refused (laughs) to give it up also. I had like attachment to these things that I, I found comfort in. I didn't really enjoy change very often when I was young I think most kids don't but some kids have it easier than others so the onesie the jelly shoes the leotard when I was older I learned how to play the piano so piano is something that's very like symbolic to me that's very like creative and just um, I was very I was a really good player but not because I have good listening skills. I do have an actual hearing problem, but because I was so the dexterity of my hands, like I I memorized all the classical, like 16 page pieces. I just memorized just with movements of my hands. And it's something I so wish I never gave up. I really wish that I would have continued doing it. So I think that's something I'm definitely going to carry on with in the coming years, because I keep saying I'm going to start playing the piano again.
0: Yeah. Maybe keyboarding is a, a goal for 2020.
1: Yeah. So these days, you would probably find I'm a yoga instructor, so you'd find my mala beads, you would find my essential oil diffuser, all kinds of holistic modalities of activating the senses. <laughs> so, oils, like plants, flowers my beads like I said my yoga mat for sure yoga is a big part of my my running sneakers I'm also a runner so my running sneakers are very very symbolic of me and probably if you could put people in the museum like a group of people like I just enjoy being around people I'm a coach so Mm -hmm. I enjoy having intimate connections with people I don't have, like, a million friends per se, but the friends I have are, like, quality. The people around me are very high-quality people. So if you could put people in a museum.
0: Yeah, you could have, like, pictures. People sometimes like to put pictures in their museum of the people they love. Yes,
1: right, right. And I just like beauty in general. So flowers, you can't see, but I'm facing, like, flowers. And I really just enjoy beautiful things. One of the other things I added, I'm also, I love to cook. So one of the beautiful things I added to my very brown kitchen is a turquoise KitchenAid, not food processor, but the mixer. Nice, yeah. So, so
0: what, what do you love to cook? What's something like a favorite thing that you just love to make?
1: So I like to make fish. So I basically like to just look at recipes for inspiration and just create my own thing. I don't have a favorite thing anymore. There are definitely things that I can make without recipes that just come really easily. If I need to whip something up for like a dinner of 10 people, I'm like, okay, I need this, 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 that. And, you know, I can basically take, come into your refrigerator or take a few things and make something out of it. But things that I cook really well are soups. I'm a very big soup person. Um... And, uh, I would say anything that has like ground meat, like meatballs or hamburgers, like I can make different kinds of dishes that have ground meat. That's really good. Mm -hmm. And I like to bake. I really like making desserts, which is like something I shouldn't be because I have, (laughs) well, I I have a digestion issue and and sugar, sugar inflames everything, but I really like making desserts. I love it. And my thing is to always find creative ways to make them healthy. So, I won't make whipped cream out of cream, I'll make it out of coconut cream which is not, it doesn't have the dairy and I use just a tiny bit of coconut sugar and I always try to make the original recipe a lot healthier for a person who's trying to be mindful about the kind of food they put in their bodies.
0: Yeah, you just mentioned coconut sugar and I actually sometimes like to use that, put that in my yogurt. Because it's got a very particular flavor to it. And I like coconut sugar. You mentioned that for some kids, travel is hard. That you think for most kids, it's hard. For some people, it's easier. What was it like for you? How did that process
1: work out for you, like the moving? First of all,
0: tell me where you moved, like where you went back and forth as a kid.
1: So when I was nine, my family moved to the U.S. from Israel. First of all, it was very dramatic, the move itself, because... My dad always wanted to live in the U.S., you know, the American dream type of situation. And it was in the 80s. It was really hard to move with your entire family to the U.S. without being sponsored properly or whatever. Even when you were, I think you were sponsored, it was hard for him. And I'm a very sensitive person. So I had no idea about energetic boundaries and like how I take on other people's emotions like so easily. It's only something I learned about myself later on in my life. that It's like a thing, like, oh. I'm feeling like this is not even mine. So it was a very stressful time because my dad, like, I remember my parents traveled to the U.S. on vacation for a month, left us with our grandparents. When they came back, we're moving. Surprise. <laughs> I mean, it was a process. My dad went to some conference and he was offered a job. And she's like, hell yeah, I'm taking that. And he came here first without us, mm-hmm. without my mom and my sister and I. And so and what ended up happening was we were apart for a year. He was here for a year like he couldn't leave and we couldn't come and like applying for paperwork was bad. And, and I think that they did something. I don't know what they did, but they did something. It was very stressful because my dad wasn't there. My mom never talks about it's so hard for me, so difficult for me, but I could feel her emotions. And I remember one time we was supposed to fly to Mexico City and then somehow come into the U.S., and my mom last minute like we were preparing we were packing we were going and and my mom last minute was like i'm not doing this this is ridiculous and i think like the next day there was like a huge earthquake in mexico city something like a nine size something earthquake and i was like shocked i was like we saw in the news and she was like oh my god thank god i canceled this like she didn't talk to us about it but i could tell that she was like relieved and i was like holy shit and so finally the day came, my dad, my dad came back to Israel. Then we flew. I, I, I don't really know what happened and nor do they want to go into the um, details of exactly what unfolded and how we got to the U S but mm-hmm. it wasn't easy for them. And I know that they went through this like big deal to get our family all together here. But for me as a child being really sensitive, it was like a traumatic time. And then having moved here, Think about it. A girl is raised in the Mediterranean, and all of a sudden, she comes to 10-degree New York City. <laughs> oh. I stepped outside. I was like, what the hell is this? I've never <laughs> felt such cold weather. I remember the feeling of the coldness. I was like, what is this cold weather? I couldn't even comprehend.
0: Yeah, no. it's like you're trying to imagine, how do I live in this place? How do people live, exist in such cold weather?
1: Right, so we came in the beginning of December-ish, And we started school already in January. And I remember like inside feeling like I'm going to be okay, but being like really scared at the same time. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't know one word of English. I remember the first day of school, I was holding my backpack and I said to the teacher in Hebrew, I was like, where should I put this? And she's like, over there. (laughs) I think she just understood (laughs) what I was saying. She just looked at me funny and then just pointed to whatever, and then it was just really for me. It was really hard because I didn't have I, the language, and I didn't have friends. And I came from a place where I had a lot of friends and people played around outside a lot. It was like an outside culture, it still is an outdoor culture. Like the temperatures, seventy degrees on average year round. And here, everybody goes home at three o'clock, and that's it, and, and that's you're done. It was just really scary for me because I was also really used to being a very Good student, always getting good grades, understanding the material really quickly. And like just being really scared to like that. I didn't know English and I didn't know how to communicate with people. And, and, and gym class was really weird. Gym class was weird. We were playing sports. I've never kickball and like softball. I didn't know what these sports were. I was like, what is this sport? Softball. Ooh. It was a very sports oriented type of gym class. In Israel, it was just a very athletic type of gym class. It was like athletics, not sports, not games.
0: Right. It was more like running and that sort of thing.
1: Also, it was different because in Israel, you call your teacher by their first name. And here it's Mr. Or Mrs. It's a lot more formal. Things are a lot more formal. You know, kids dress differently. We were like, I mean, maybe the dress wasn't. We actually had, we had uniforms. We had like just t-shirt uniforms that we had to wear, just the t-shirts. To get out of the house also you have to put on like 16 layers of clothes there. <laughs> I just yeah. put on my, my shiny pink jelly shoes and my shorts and t-shirt and I went to school, you know?
0: Yeah. And even figuring out how to layer your clothes so that you could stay warm is kind of, there's an art to it. <laughs> yeah. First, like, yeah. Kind of figuring out like, okay, what do I do? How do I keep from freezing? But yeah, the
1: transition was not easy. They, there was one girl who spoke, who's Israeli also from fifth grade. I was in third grade and they like brought her to places to translate for me. And we ended up being like really close friends afterwards. But I think that at the time, the place where I lived wasn't very diverse, wasn't full of uh, many immigrant families. And so their way of onboarding people who are different and come Mm -hmm. from different places was like not friendly at all. I mean, I was sent to ESL classes, so you know, English is a second language classes with a special teacher that would pull me out of the, like the reading class or whatever. But that was it. And then like, I was just left to find for myself. And the kids weren't like, hey, be my friend, be my friend, they weren't like that. And it took me some time. I think after three months, I could say that I, I was understanding English, I was uh, speaking, my writing was probably better than most of my classmates. I, I'm very like study, you know, I absorb information really fast, I'm a very quick learner. Especially as a kid, you know, you just absorb that information. And especially when you're forced to being in a place where you have oh, to yeah. learn the language. But I still had that anxiety. I still had that fear of, like, like you switch teachers, you change teachers every year. And I got used to a teacher, and I was, like, scared. I, I asked her, I was, like, please, can I stay with you? She's, like, well, I'm not teaching next year or so. Or I'm not teaching... I don't know. Whatever yeah, it is. the next I grade. Had, yeah. We had to switch classes for reading or for whatever and I asked her like can I stay in your class? And I think she did let me. She, it was like we switched for advanced reading and beginner reading and she let me stay in the advanced reading just because she was my teacher. She just felt badly for me, which was nice. But then I had this one mortifying experience that I'll never forget and really shaped the way I am today and why I do what I do. Mm-hmm. And when so when I was in 3rd grade and I didn't know how to ask to go to the bathroom, she so we sat, we also sat in these configurations where they're like a bunch of desks attached. So it's like configuration of like five desks, five desks. So I sat across from someone and I had to hold the sign up every time I wanted to use the restroom. So every time I choose the restroom, I held the sign up and everybody knew I was going to the restroom. So one time I went to the restroom and I guess it took me a long time because I had to take take care of business. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't notice the time. When I came back, the teacher was like flipped her lid on me. She's like, I don't know where were you what took you so long and I just stood there mortified of being oh yelled in front of the whole class not knowing how to say I had a number two <laughs> I didn't know how to say it and I was like if I say it, it'll sound stupid I don't know how to say it and I really felt this like you know that like chunk in your throat mm-hmm. that like stuck when you want to say something but you feel scared about saying it so not only was I mortified but I felt like stupid saying it because I didn't really know how to say it And this story stuck with me. I created this story in my mind that, like, if I speak my mind, I will sound stupid. Because I was being yelled at. I was mortified. There was no reason for it to yell at me. I understood that, but I couldn't do anything about it. It was, like, frozen.
0: Right. You didn't know how to handle that situation. You were a little kid. So you know something's wrong. You just don't know how to make it right.
1: And so I had this, like, voice in my head that I sound stupid. For a very, very long time, it, like, impacted the way I show up for my business I even would have, like, these crazy physical experiences manifest when I had to, like, stand in front of a group and speak in college, in my MBA program, when I had to, like, share in a circle or at work. Like, when it was my turn, I'd feel my head getting hot. Uh I'd have coughing attacks. And it took me a really long time to connect it back to there, to figure out why that's happening. Because, logically, I know I'm smart. I know I have good things to say. I'm not any worse or better than the person sitting next to me? Why can't I just, you know, say it? And so this is why I do, I help people find their voice because I think it's, I think we have these like stories that we're not aware of that, you know, hold us back from speaking our minds.
0: So how long did it take before you were finally comfortable in your new home? Like knowing, saying, okay, I live in the U.S. I feel comfortable that this is where I live.
1: It took me a good two years. I was crying a lot. I miss my, I was very close with my grandparents. Mm -hmm. I was crying a lot. We had another dramatic experience happen when my grandmother came to visit us, my mom's mom who I was very close with, and she came to visit us, and while she was there, my grandfather had a heart attack and passed away, her husband, and so it was really dramatic, and my, my parents couldn't go to the funeral because they couldn't leave because of the visa, and it was just like emotional, an emotional time, and so all this processing of emotions, which I wasn't aware wasn't all mine, um, it was really hard, and I think it took me a good two years to really settle. We also moved to a different area within our town, and the school was different, and the people there were different, and, it was, and the teachers were different. So I just felt more comfortable there. It was smaller, and just um, something about it was more cozy for me. Mm-hmm. I can't explain it. I don't know why, but it just felt more home, and, and the teachers were just more welcoming and more, they were just different. So, so that was better. And I made I had a lot more friends, I made more friends, and it started getting better. And then, at some point, it transitioned into like being ashamed of being an immigrant and speaking a second language. Like when I came home with my friends from school, my mom would speak to me in Hebrew, and I get so mad and embarrassed. I was like, so embarrassed about it. Oh,
0: my goodness. No. And so you you tell her don't do it. (laughs) Don't speak Hebrew. But your mama presumably did speak English as well, right?
1: Well, my mom was going through her own struggles, but she was very adamant about She's like, I'm I'm going to speak this language. You can, mm-hmm. you know, for better or worse, was always like, get a hold of your emotions, get over it, you know?
0: Yeah, I'm just thinking because you guys living here for a while, you want to pick up the language. Otherwise, it becomes impossible to have a certain degree of independence if you don't have a lot of people to speak your native language around you. And there are not as many Hebrew speakers across the U.S., as there are of other languages. So, yeah, it had to be hard for your mom saying, I want to have my independence and live my life. I've got to pick this language up. Yeah.
1: She was, like, having her own struggles in, in English, but she was, like, very adamant about speaking Hebrew. And, uh, and honestly, we, we now live in a community with a lot of Israelis, like New York City, New Jersey area. Oh, yeah, lots of Hebrew speakers up there. No. But back then, there weren't as many.
0: In the Northeast, you're more likely to find Hebrew speakers. But but yeah, go to other parts of the country. I think you'd be hard-pressed. I actually studied Hebrew in grad school, but have since lost it. I don't have anybody to practice with. I mean, there are Hebrew speakers, but you have to go, like, find them. Yeah.
1: Um, where do you live? I'm in Texas.
0: So I'm uh, in Dallas.
1: I Dallas. there's a lot of Israelis in Texas.
0: Yeah. It's just that you have to kind of go out and find. It's not like... Uh, um,
1: okay.
0: Yeah, okay. like, I've actually been to New York where I've I just going around the city in my life, I hear Hebrew on the street. That just doesn't happen here. That is very true. It's not as easy. Yeah, it's not as easy. I should go and have to find a community and then try and make friends so that you can get an opportunity. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: So she did a good thing by being really adamant about us keeping the language and speaking it at home because now, you know, we're fluent in two languages, which is a, a gift, you know. I think it's a really big it's a it's a really good thing to know two languages. to have your brain process information and in two different culture like communications is really good.
0: yeah, I agree. I love that. So what kind of music would be playing in your museum? Tell me about sounds. Um, sounds in general, all sounds, including music, How's that?
1: Yeah, I really like music as a young person, but then I don't know what happened and why I strayed away from music. But when my daughter was born, she really... I I just made it a point to always have music on and she, like, now she loves music and she fills up my playlist with all kinds of songs, but I would say that most of the songs I love the most are, like... (laughs) Weird yoga chant music. I don't know if you know Ram Das, who passed away recently, or Jai Jagdish. They make beautiful music out of Sanskrit chants, which is like super relaxing and gets you in a zone of... I love classical music because I used to play it. I love, love, love classical music. I love it. Also a little bit of jazz. And I love Israeli music. Like Middle Eastern Israeli music is really, really good and uplifting. I grew up on it. And if you ever go to an Israeli wedding, it's not like here. It's like DJ, like awesome music, dancing. It's like a big party. But I can tell you like some of the things like Nora. So Adele, obviously. I love Adele. Pink. I love the song American Pie. I really love Ellie Goulding. If you know who she is, she sings Burn. I love Chainsmokers. They have such an amazing song called Paris. I love Maroon 5. I love songs that make me emotional, happy, sad, whatever it is. There are songs like this. Yeah, uh, that kind of bring me intensity. Like my, yeah, these are the songs I love. I like songs that are in, in Spanish and Portuguese. My dad is like a big musical person. Like he has like piles and piles member CDs. Like always listening yeah. to lots of different musical styles, like Greek music, Spanish, Turkish. My parents love French songs, so we are always listening to all different kinds of music, all our lives.
0: And just kind of loving it, huh? So then outside of your, your family, because of course you travel together, you, you influence each other in so many ways. But can you think of some key people that kind of ha- also helped shape you along the way that are not your relatives?
1: For Maybe. sure. Let's see. Definitely we'll start with my grandmother. I didn't really know her well because a lot of my later years, she had dementia and which turned to Alzheimer's. She wasn't really communicative, but she, re- like, when I was born, my, it was my mom's mom, they lived with my grandparents for a while, and I was, like, her favorite, and she was really, like, anything I did was 100%, anything, you know, out of all, like, the cousins, and so I learned unconditional love, but I also learned panic and constant anxiety kind of love. Uh, oh
0: my goodness. What do you mean?
1: So you have to understand I'm like a grandchild of Holocaust survivors. They actually were there. Israel became like a country in 1948. They were there. So they, they all came from a boat. Israel was not really well formed yet. My grandparents were in full survival mode, even before they moved there. Like when they were in concentration camps or running away, they're running away for their lives. Sure. So they already carried a lot of stress in their bodies and they, you know, not on purpose, passed it on to their kids and the grandkids when they raised them. But my grandmother also had two kids before my mom and my uncle who died of polio within like a week of each other. So, so she was like, anytime I had a fever, anytime I had like anything, the doctor immediately take it to the doctor. And so I took on this identity of, being like, always sick, I'm always sick, I'm, there's always something wrong, I just start sneezing. You know, I had a very compromised immune system, but I don't think it was because I'm not a healthy person, it's because this constant, like you're sick, was driven into me. And I still battle this to this day. I still am like, am I really sick? Or is this just my me thinking that you know, something is wrong? And this is still something I work through today. So this shaped a lot of who I am. And seriously, I have only recognized this, I'd say, in the past five years, which is insane. But, I mean, she was, like, so loving to me.
0: What was your like, favorite thing about her?
1: She's an amazing cook. She was, like, a, a kid's dream come true. Like, anything I want, she would, do you want a special milkshake? Do you want a pair of pants? Do you want me to take you shopping? I had a fight with my cousin. I was always right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, okay. See. I'm always right. She was always your ally. She always loved on you and tried to give you special treats. That's sweet.
1: And I would say that I was, like, also a favorite grandchild of the other grandparents. And, like, in general, I was always picked out because I was a a very communicative kid. I was very aware and alert, and I just have high emotional intelligence. And so I'm very good at navigating that. But I was also very communicative. Like, I would ask them questions and have conversations. And, you know, older people are just, like wowed by like a small and I was like small and petite a small person like having a conversation with them and like asking them like well how does that feel like things like that and they were like how, who are you
0: yeah um, just kind of enjoying their stories with them yeah sure I could see that that would make you very much a favorite in your family
1: so being attentive and really like in tune with what they were saying like listening when I was a kid which is crazy and then I would say outside of my family who else shaped me I'm trying to think when we lived in Israel if there was someone else that I remember but I don't
0: there might not be somebody else that stands out that much then that's okay too
1: yeah I would say when I moved here definitely that teacher and then the first teacher that I had in the second elementary school that we went to in fourth grade Dr. Mix um really shaped um, I never saw a man teacher before, and I was, like, really shaped the way I see, like, men take on a role of teaching. I can't really explain it, but I was just really, like, wowed by this concept that there's, like, a man teacher. Wow. Yeah, you um, never seen it
0: before. I can see that. You know, when you're little, you're kind of taking all these experiences in. So, yeah, be surprising the first time you see a male teacher if you'd never seen one before.
1: Yeah. And then I would say... Are we talking about, like, the later
0: years? Oh, we can, sure, because we've been through your younger childhood, so, yeah. Adolescence, too, because adolescence is kind of an intense time in our life anyway, right? Right. And so you're going through a lot of changes, and on top of it, you've had this big move happen, and you're living in two cultures. What was that like?
1: Well, when I was in high school, I decided that I want to be a cheerleader, it wasn't the aspect of jumping up and down for boys in a skirt or the football game. It was the athletic aspect. And they were, there was dancing, there was competitions, And I really liked that. And there's no ch- such thing as cheerleaders in Israel. It's not part of our culture. And it, now I see like, how like, it's very much like jumping up and down for boys in a skirt. <laughs> <laughs> I hope my daughter doesn't want to be a cheerleader. But my mom was like, absolutely not. And I like had to convince her and convince her and convince her that this is something that I wanted to do. And I eventually did it. Mm-hmm. She just didn't get it. She just didn't understand. And that's cool. And I was eventually cheerleader, I was captain of the cheerleading team. And also another thing that my parents didn't understand was the drinking culture that happens here and party culture in adolescence, which I think a lot of immigrant parents may not understand because in the U.S., the drinking culture for the purpose of getting drunk is, you know, like in Paris, you go, you have wine, you drink, but it's not for the purpose of getting drunk. It's for the purpose of pleasure. Mm -hmm. Here, pleasure is is like buffering your emotions out of you or something. I don't know. But it's true. Kids go to parties, they drink, they do drugs. It's for the purpose of like messing with the senses, for the purpose of getting drunk and not, not for, I wouldn't say it's pleasure, like, ooh, this brings me pleasure. I definitely want to do this. They didn't understand that. And they didn't understand why I had to go to parties and to like, you know, when I had a party at my house and people were drinking. I mean, obviously that wasn't very, you know, I was a teenager, but. They just didn't understand the whole, like, drinking thing. They didn't get it.
0: In Israel, like, what experience were they coming from in terms of what that was like in Israel?
1: They didn't even drink any alcohol. We came here. My dad was 28. My mom was 25. They didn't have anything to drink until their mid-30s. Like, they weren't even, like, they're, like, drinking, We, you know. Like you have so to understand- that
0: was just like not part of their life at all. So, of course, they find it very bizarre. They come here, and it's a part of people's lives. And especially when they see young people, that must have been really bizarre for them. I can see that.
1: And, you know, I was just a teenager just trying to fit in. I was very stressed out about like the whole like social situation because I had some trauma around it from coming here and having no friends. And so I really just wanted to be part of the crowd and just be normal.
0: Now, once so- you got here to the States, you never went back? Or was there a back and forth so when I was 26,
1: I uh, went back.
0: Okay. So basically, but your entire like younger schooling, yeah. you basically were in Israel and then all of a sudden, yeah. bam, you're in the US now.
1: I finished yeah. college. And so I was going to get this one of the person that influenced me the most after college, I met someone, he was an acupuncturist and he introduced me to this whole concept of Eastern medicine and holistic medicine. And I was just like blown away. I was like, get out, <laughs> get
0: out. Oh my gosh. I I love acupuncture.
1: (laughs) I don't have to go to the doctor. This works. I was blown away. And he introduced me to the whole concept of like meditation and healing yourself through meditation and fasting rather than taking all these drugs. I actually was with him on some like study that he did with a meditation teacher. They took cancer patients, stage four cancer patients, and healed them through meditation, acupuncture. And it was like, get out. And so this was the first time I actually interfaced with someone who was holistic in nature, self-growth, self-help. And this is something that so spoke to me. I was like forever and ever on the path to, I was like, I became a self-help, I don't want to say junkie, but I love all those books. I had my first coach, life coach, when I was 25. I did landmark education. So So that really, really influenced my life.
0: So if I could just rewind just a little bit. How did you decide where you wanted to go to college and where did you end up going?
1: So a thing that my parents never instilled in me, which is very sad to me, but they were never like, you have to choose your path. You have to decide what you want to do. Let's decide what you want to do and then allow you to find activities that support that. There's a whole thing that's called like college admissions and after school activities and volunteering. And it's really important for you to do those things so that you can get into college, good college. Now,
0: can I ask, is it possible that maybe the fact that they were from another country is part of that? Maybe they weren't aware of these things. Uh, I you know. think that sometimes happens in families where they don't really know how the system works. They just right, know it, that right. after high school, you go to college, but they don't necessarily know all the things that feed into getting you to college.
1: I can say that this is the truth. And back then there wasn't so much information. There wasn't any information online like there is today. But now I I live in the same community where I grew up. And I have friends my age who move their families here. My age and younger who are Israeli who move their families here. And they are already planning their kids. But there's a lot of information out there now. Yeah, the internet makes a big difference. It's not like back then. So they just didn't know. You're right. But also, I think it's, it's not like they came from a place where there was no universities and no colleges and no career path development. That's not the truth. Also, it's very cultural in our culture that, well, back then, like a woman stays home with the kids, she does everything around the house, she's a household manager, she can work, but you know, this is how a man in that culture thinks, thought. It mm-hmm. still happens today, very sad. So basically, my parents were doing well financially at the time. And they said, well, you have two choices. We live in New Jersey. You can go to Rutgers and we'll pay for all of it, or you can go wherever you want, but we won't pay for it. So I was like, okay, I'll go to Rutgers. Not really thinking about what I want to do, if it's a good school for me, if it's, you know, I mean, Rutgers is a good school, but they pay for it. So, and I'm lucky. I don't how I didn't come out with any student loans. That's where I went. And it wasn't too far from home. They gave me a car. They paid for everything. I work to fund my fun, but they paid for tuition and everything. Nice. What to study? I wanted to get into the school of business, but I didn't end up getting into the school of business. The first two one and a half years, I basically messed around a lot and didn't pay attention. And it was just like, "Ugh, oh, I hate these classes. I don't like these classes." I was I had this I have this like mean girl voice in my head, and I really let empowered her a lot for some reason. Well, not for some reason. I had like depression issues when I was in high school and. But I just wasn't used to, like, I wasn't ever empowered from the outside. And I didn't know how to do that from the inside either, really. You have to to do your core classes. And I didn't get into the School of Business. So I ended up studying economics and communications double major. And it's so funny because I remember sitting in my econometrics class. I think it was sophomore year. So econometrics is, like, statistics of economics. It's a terrible boring but you have to take it (laughs) I remember a thought came into my head like oh I really want to be a nutritionist it just landed on me Mm -hmm. and as soon as that came in I was like you'll never make money doing that that's it and it left and now when I think about it I'm like why didn't I listen to myself it's so much more aligned with who I am in any case I'm like a nutritionist without the certification you know I build meal plans I cook healthy like it's like mm-hmm. I'm very into like health and wellness so I just thought it was very I remember that whole thinking is like a story I tell to a lot of people like you have to listen to those nudges and not like dismiss them because of money or because you think you can't do it so Rutgers also had a lot of people one of my really good friends went to school there and so we were roommates in our second year um, we saw each other. So it was, it was also sort of like not leaving my comfort zone. It was hard for me to think about going to school in another city where I didn't know anyone.
0: You still we- wanted like that anchor, or that something familiar for you. So in all this time, did you go back to Israel vacationing?
1: Yeah, when we were young, we would go there for like the entire summer sometimes and then, like, every now and then, flights used to be really cheap. A business class ticket for $600 once. It was crazy. Um, oh, yeah.
0: No, not anymore.
1: <laughs> ever again, I know. Yeah, we would go often. We would go at least once a year to see our family. So, basically, like, while other families, vacate, like, my friends, like, yeah, we're going on a cruise. We're seeing this place. Like, my parents were like, we're going to Israel. This is, this is where we go. So, you know, we went to Disney, and we went to, like, California and stuff like that, but...
0: But yeah, while other kids maybe had stories about summer camp, you had stories about what, going to see grandma in Israel.
1: <laughs> I went to sleepaway camp like one year, but I didn't continue for some reason. Yeah,
0: I don't think I ever did. I think I did a few weekend things, but that was during the school year. I was gone all summer. So what was sleep away camp like for you? It was very intimidating, I have to say. Oh well, good—I didn't miss out on anything. <laughs> what was it like
1: today? I know to expect that a change is going to feel a little uncomfortable, but like the more I do it, and the more it's—it's going to be fine as long as I come from a place of wanting to do it. When I was a kid, I had a really hard time managing like social anxiety, and because of that one incident with that teacher, but I think I was also always socially anxious. I'm introverted, so I really need to like recharge. You don't really have time to recharge and sleep camp. You're yeah, always <laughs> around people, always.
0: Yeah, I can see that that would be stressful. And I think you just said it, but I want to make sure that I clarify it. So basically, after having struggled with adapting to change over and over throughout your childhood, do you feel you've gotten better at it as an adult? Is, has it become easier for you?
1: Oh, my God, for sure. I'm so much more resilient than I used to be. When I was 26, I decided to move there to Israel. <laughs> I lived there for 10 years and I mean, the country changed dramatically. I actually went and worked there and like had to deal with like daily life by myself with, I mean, I had, I had like an uncle far away North. My grandmother was kind of close. I met my ex-husband. So I had people around me, but I was really missing my good friends from here. I was often thinking, I wish I had everything together yeah this world and that world you know so I moved back there and and you have to adapt like you know if you've been through that then other things are small
0: (laughs) what I wonder is like I'm sure it's still very uncomfortable because it sounds like you struggled with it a lot but maybe um like you said like you know it's going to be okay so maybe being patient through the discomfort is easier is that fair to say
1: Yeah, because I know it's not going to last forever. You know, as a kid, you feel like those feelings are going to last forever. You don't know that there's an end to them. I know that it's going to get better because I've been through the other side.
0: Do you still have a traveling life or are you more... Because you say you're still in the town that you grew up in. Now, do you just live there all year? Is that more the speed you've decided to...
1: I'd love to just travel around, but I have a small child. How old is your daughter? (laughs) She's eight. She needs to go to school. I will not homeschool. So, yeah, and my my parents live here. So I I met my ex-husband. She was born in Israel, and we divorced. I moved back here. He stayed there. I moved back here. My family's here. So I was like, well, I didn't want to stay there. Politically unstable. There's a war. I was like, I don't need to live in between bombings. I'll just come here to the safe (laughs) U.S. (laughs) site.
0: That sounds like it makes perfect sense to me.
1: I was driving, so there were these, like, sirens that go off really loudly everywhere when there's a bomb on its way to you. Oh, wow. I had to stop my car in the middle of the intersection and just leave it there and run to the nearest building to a bomb shelter. And as I was standing there, and it's actually not a bomb shelter. You're supposed to stand in, in a hallway. In Israel, there's a bunch of, like, apartment buildings. It's, it's rare to find, like, there's small sections. that have private houses, but it's mostly apartment buildings everywhere. We were just standing a bunch of random strangers in the stairwell. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and, and Tamara, my daughter, was in daycare. And I'm like, I don't need to live like this. <laughs> so it landed on me. i like, I have a choice. I'm going to go. So anyway, my ex-husband and I, we were, like, going to move. But then something happened between us, and we separated. And he stayed. I, I came here with Tamara. So, yeah.
0: What languages is Tamara surrounded with? Like, what role do languages play in your life today?
1: Hebrew and English. I mean, her whole side of her dad's family speaks only Hebrew, and here we speak English. But I mean, my parents still speak to her in Hebrew at home, and my sister and I speak Hebrew between each other. Around the kids, she has kids. She married someone who's American, but he like learned Hebrew and he tries to speak it at home more than. (laughs) heart. <laughs> with the kids like he wants the kids no Hebrew so
0: I actually always admire when parents go and make that effort you know I mean being bilingual of course that's great but I, I have a special place in my heart for the parent that's got it as a second language and tries so hard you know like they want to give that to their kid and it's not even comfortable or easy for them because it's not their language you know yeah. but I think that's really cool that's really when I see people make that that extra effort because like you said earlier I completely agree being bicultural and but bi- with bilingualism being a part of that it's a gift it really does affect your life in very positive wonderful ways so i think that's very cool how does tamara feel about the languages she likes speaking hebrew
1: she doesn't speak it so much here but definitely when we're in israel it just like flows out of her like we go there once a year also for the summer not for the entire summer but for part of the summer and she really likes she's studying french in school now she really likes it i think she's going to be a languages person
0: Wonderful. That's so cool. In a traveling person, clearly, you've got her traveling already, which kind of makes sense. I mean, when you have family in more than one place, it's not really a question whether or not your family will be raised traveling because you have to go visit the others.
1: Traveling to Israel for three weeks is like a pricey trip. Like a, a ticket yes. alone is like $1,200 if you book way ahead. And I was like, this year, I was like, I want her to see other parts of the world. If we go there, we go there. It's just too much to like, travel although they are Israel is close to a lot of European countries but it's just too much you know so I want her to see other places so I've made it my mission to like travel with her to other places and not just there so I definitely want her to see she's really interested in different things so she's very curious about things and really wants to see she enjoys traveling. She likes to see different places and is very excited about you know, one of her good friends that lived here in a community moved to Amsterdam so she's like well, we visit her, I want to see what it's like, you know, she's very curious about those things. So
0: It's very cool. Well now that she's learning French, maybe the idea of actually going to a French speaking country will I don't know, ah. inspire her, you know. <laughs> like working so hard to learn this language all of a sudden will feel easier if she knows that there's like an adventure attached. To getting yeah. it right, so
1: no, I would definitely do anything I can to instill like culture in her because it's so important. You know, when I grew up here, there are a lot of people I knew that didn't even have a passport mm-hmm. and never saw anything outside the U.S. And I was just like wowed by that. Some, some someone once asked me, you know, and I said that also shocked me. I remember when I was younger, I think I must have been in fifth grade or something. Someone asked me, oh, you're from Israel. Did you ride camels? Were you born in a tent? <laughs> I was like, no. And nope. it's just just really shocking to me that people never saw anything outside the U.S. So I was like, wait, so you've never flown to another country? I was like really shocked by that.
0: Yeah, I think that when we're little, we kind of expect everyone's life is similar. We don't really think about it. This is just what life is like. So it is a bit surprising when you come to realize, wait, no, actually, my life is quite different from most people. Most people's lives aren't like this. I had a passport moment, too, the first time I found out. A little friend of mine in school didn't have a passport. I actually went home alarmed to tell my mom because I thought that was, there was something wrong.
1: <laughs> I was like, yeah. mm-hmm. okay. Also, I have to say that I recently met someone, too, someone my age He's never been to, he's been to like the Caribbean, but never outside this country. And I was like, how do you live with yourself?
0: (laughs) Well, that's what it is. I think sometimes we have to remind ourselves that those of us that grew up this way, our life is the one that's different, you know? (laughs) And I don't know if you've noticed, but I think those of us that kind of have this more international life, we tend to hang out with other people that also have that life so it's easy to live in our bubble and just kind of assume, oh yes, of course everybody troubles, of course
1: everybody right. speaks
0: more than one language, of course everybody's interested in these things.
1: You know? Hands down, guess what, most of my friends when I grew up, so in sixth grade I had this really good friend, she was American, we were really good friends and then she decided that she didn't like me anymore and she got like all these people against me. So I had to, I was forced to find other friends and I had this group of friends and, like, they're still my best friends. We're still friends to this day. We became friends when I was 13 or 12 or 13, and we're still, to this day, good friends. They are all children of immigrant parents, all of them. Wow.
0: Yeah, and no, for me, it's um, not everybody's like the uh, children of immigrant parents, but everyone's from a traveling family. So even people that you know, whose families have been here forever and they're American-born, I mean, but they're still families that travel families that have been to other places, that have you know lived other places, worked other places, or simply vacationed other places. And that's kind of what I mean, that I think we're all kind of attracted to people that like a lot of the same things that we like. And sometimes it's surprising. It takes us a minute to remember that, wait, that's actually not the common experience. Right. What would you say to somebody who's never traveled and doesn't have a passport?
1: Go to the nearest country that you can. Go to Canada. Just go Actually no, leave North America. What's the closest country? England. Go to England. Go to Scotland. Go to beautiful. Like just beautiful. Just listen to the accent. Just observe their culture. Just go go for a week and have no plans but to observe culture. Life changing. For sure. Eat their food. Ask the locals where to go. Just go.
0: <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, I think that's a perfect ending. We are going to make sure that everybody knows that they should go. Well, actually, no, I want to actually add something to that. Why? So if someone were to ask you, okay, I go to London and I observe culture. Why? Why would I do this? What would you say to them?
1: It just opens your eyes. It expands your life. When you do something new and you learn something new, think about like when you had an aha moment of any kind, you read a book that taught you how to do something new, your life suddenly expanded. Like you have an expansion of your thinking, an expansion of your mind, you understand different concepts, you have a different perception of a way of living. And I think everybody needs growth. New learning is growth is movement. Otherwise, you stay stagnant. And you don't move. You need momentum. Like I think as humans, we need momentum. This is just one of my favorite ways of having momentum is to learn new cultures, to see new things. There's beautiful, beautiful. I mean, have you ever been to Thailand? It's like,
0: oh my gosh, it's so on my list. But yeah,
1: Heaven on earth. I've probably seen more outside the U.S. than I have the U.S. So I definitely want to see more of the U.S. But something that opened up my eyes is how Asian culture extols older people and here in the U.S. in Western civilization we we put them in like homes we kind of like forget about them we don't celebrate them as much as they're celebrated in Asia in Asia they're like gurus they have more wisdom they are like like the family structure basically moves around the older person like you you move to a house you make sure there's a room for the grandma we don't do that as Westerners and I was just like blown away I was like wow that's so amazing. And they're such good caretakers. And they, they like, for, for older people, you know, in Israel, it's such a, it's a well-known thing. Like, when, a, when a, a person gets older, they will have my grandmother for 10 years had uh, a, a nurse who was um, Philippine, Filipino. She lived with her and she took such good care of her. She called her mom like she loved her. The way she took care of her was like not the same as, you know, if someone who's Israeli would take care of her, I'm sure of that. So these kinds of things are they're important to see because you also get to question whether the way you lived is the way you wanted to live just because you have rules and regulation and structures and culture passed to you does not mean you have to live this way. And when you open your eyes to other ways, you're like, oh, this resonates with me more. I want to live this way.
0: That's my favorite thing about travel in general. I think when we travel, we get to know ourselves even better because we have those contrasts. So we have that opportunity to kind of ask ourselves the questions, like you said. You know, hey, do I really think this way or is this just something handed to me I've never questioned? Or do I really like this? Maybe I don't. Maybe I like this other thing better. You know, so, yeah, I think getting to know yourself is done in contrast and so travel is fantastic for that what future plans do you have for travel or do you have any right now you might not
1: my vision in the next 10 years one of the things on there is to travel often with my daughter for sure to go to places with her one of the places i want to take her to visit is interlaken in switzerland which is like a beautiful postcard like the drive from geneva to zurich i think and interlaken on the way is like oh wow so beautiful to take her skiing there. I definitely want to visit at least one beautiful new place a year. Beautiful.
0: I'll drop a link in the notes so that if people would like to continue getting to know you, Eleanor, I hope they'll continue the conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much for hanging out with me and telling me all about your life.
1: Thank you for having me. It was really nice to talk about this. We don't have conversations with people about what was it like for you growing up as a... you know somebody who was foreign to this country and I, and in a travel culture mindset with that like I actually never had a framed conversation about it this is good
0: I'm so happy thanks thank you you can continue to get to know Eleanor on Facebook at the Just Me Company. There's more information for you in the show notes and on the show blog at meettheneighbor.com. Thanks for joining the conversation. Be sure to share in the comments. We'd love to hear your stories. Meet the Neighbor is produced by Tamagan LLC. Our audio engineer is Diego Velasquez. I'm Laura Tamayo and my new friend is Eleanor Narayani Cohen. Talk to you next week.